3: You're listening to the
2: Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 249.
2: On today's show, we talk about the Mayan concept of time in the archaeological record.
0: Let's dig a little deeper because you know there's more buildings out there in the jungle. Welcome to the show, everyone. Rachel, how's it going?
2: Pretty good. Pretty good. We're hanging out here in Arizona this week. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Indeed. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next time. We've had some requests to maybe bring in a little bit more of our personal lives so people know what's going on. And we're, we're definitely going to do that. This show, however, is going to be a little bit different. We've got a couple of guests on. We're going to bring them on in just a second. We're going to do a few segments with them about a new book that's out. And then in the third segment, Rachel and I will sort of wrap up the podcast and give our thoughts on that, maybe some other stuff. So Right now, though, the book that we're going to talk about is called Materialization of Time in the Ancient Maya World, Mythic History and Ritual Order. And it was edited by David Friedel, Arlene Chase, Ann Dowd, Jerry Murdoch, and it's published by University Press of Florida. And we have David and Ann on the show today. David and Ann, welcome.
4: Thank you, Chris and Rachel. It's Very good of you to have us on. Happy to talk to you.
2: Thank you, Chris and Rachel. Of course. Yes, welcome.
0: So, David, before we started recording, you were about to tell me a little bit about the book. So why don't you tell us, this audience for this podcast is not necessarily archaeologists. This is people all over the world that just have an interest in the subject, but they're not, you know, academics or anything like that. So tell them what an edited volume is, how you you guys had a hand in this, and then a little bit about what the book is about.
4: Okay, well, I'll start by saying that um, some time ago, A group of us got together at the Santa Fe Institute in Santa Fe, New Mexico. The Institute is a think tank for consideration of emergent complexity from the tiniest to the largest things in the universe. One of the founders was a Nobel Prize winner for his contributions to the normal model in physics, and he also loved archaeology and he wrote a book called The Jaguar and the Quark. He invented the Quark. And you (laughs) can imagine then he had an intense interest in our subject, which is the Maya. And we put together a conference to talk about Maya time in that period. That was in 2012, when Many people were expecting a major change in the universe because the Maya calendar flipped over a major time. And so I recruited Anne and Susan Milbrath, Tony Aveni as key people in the study of Maya time through the study of what we call solar commemorative ceremonial centers. These are buildings that were used to observe and celebrate the changing uh, cycle of the sun through the year. And uh, we put together a conference on that subject that was so successful that the benefactors of the Santa Fe Institute interested in this have never let us stop meeting. We're very (laughs) pleased to go back there So we published a first book on the subject of these solar commemorative monuments in 2017 called E-Groups, named after the first of these kinds of ceremonial centers to be found at a site called Washak which in Mayan means eight stone or very old place and then we decided we'd do a second book. And the second book is the book we're talking about today. We're okay. continuing to meet out there. So who knows? There may be other books down the road. We think so. This mm-hmm. book is 19 individual contributions or chapters. And I'll list the titles of the sections. Landes okay. Cosmography... Building Time into Place, Chambers of Time, Bridging Time, and Materializing Mesoamerican Chronoscapes. Those are the titles of the Mm. sections in the book. The Maya are famous for their calendrical systems in the new Smithsonian uh, Book of Maps, which was republished this uh, last year. The Maya are listed as the New World people regarding calendrics. They were not the only people interested in calendar time, but they're famous for it. So Hmm. the study of time is something archaeologists have been doing in the Maya world for close to two centuries now. What we're doing in this book is a little different from previous books. We're looking at how the Maya thought of time and space as really one dimension. That is a fourth dimension, if you would. That it it was impossible for the Maya to think of time as something separate from space. So they saw time moving through the day and night every day, every night. They also saw themselves moving through time. They saw a person moving through time from babyhood to old age. They saw generations of people moving through time as everyone does. And they anchored their understanding of how to design space in the world, natural and cultural space in the world, They designed it around their understanding of time so Hmm. that they were watching the cycle of the day and night from the vantage of their places and moving through those places as time moved through the world. A little rhyme for children in Yucatan is, what is a man walking down the road? And the answer is... Time, because the word for man and the word for time are homophonous. They are basically mm. the same word, unique. So they don't think of time as separate from space. They see themselves as constantly materializing time in everything they do.
0: Okay. So that's what, when we talk about materializing time in the, or the materialization of time in the book, where, I mean, we're literally talking about the creation of spaces and buildings and probably the layout of whole cities, I would imagine, in relation to time.
4: Yes, Chris. And my Mm. colleague, Anne, uh, my co-editor, is a specialist in a particularly spectacular building that in itself manifests time. At a site called Balamku, or okay. Jaguar God, and why don't you tell them about your building? It's
3: a building that is really a, a fascinating one for on many levels. In this volume, I, with my colleague Gabrielle Veil, who is a noted epigrapher or hieroglyphic specialist, took a very close look at miniature hieroglyphs that were painted on the interior walls of the building that were not in great shape when the building was excavated. They had some of the paint that that was used to write them on the walls had fallen off. The stucco that the paint is usually adhered to was fragmentary. But what's exciting about these texts, microtext, if you will, was that mm-hmm. they, they show that there are places where people write were writing books. And because we don't have many books left that are right. in, in anything other than a fragment, we do have some very important ones in major museums, but only four or five. This is a whole new kind of document that we can look forward to seeing more of as we excavate in Maya cities. Wow,
0: that's really cool. I mean, you hear a lot about the Maya, especially as an archaeologist, right. There's Maya stuff all over the place. <laughs> but I hadn't really heard I hadn't really heard that before. That was uh, that's new. that's really interesting.
4: There are other buildings in addition to Anne's where they mm-hmm. have found hieroglyphs written on the walls and uh, sometimes they look like they're notes. Sometimes mm-hmm. they look like they're calculations. So this is a new subject area for us studying what we have called graffiti, but looking at it from the vantage of people taking notes and putting them actually on the walls. Wow, that's really cool. I
3: like that. Very much like a blackboard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting because it's like a, I mean, it really is like a snapshot in time, not something that was done necessarily, or at least it doesn't sound like something it was done with a, you know, like an architectural thought, like this is a, this is a building we're going to put together and, you know, or, or we're telling a story here, but like you said, notes, that's just, that's really neat to think about.
4: Well, the Maya were, were literate people and uh, mm-hmm. two or 3% of the elite that could write and calculate and keep numbers, but Even ordinary people had access to sages who memorized time. Mm. Uh, One of my teachers was an ethnographer of Maya in Highland Chiapas, and he was astonished when a specialist in time, a keeper of time, told him, I'll see you on January 15th. And he promptly showed up at the time and place (laughs) That he said he was going to be there. Having taken no notes at all, he -hmm. just memorized his schedule. And uh, we believe that Maya always did that. That is to say, they were always calculating time in their minds, even when they were not writing them down.
0: Yeah. Wow. That brings me, I'm looking at the chapter list here, and David, you were a co-author on chapter seven, and part of it here says, first, Stile Spirit's Desecration and Devotion, the fate of some Time Lords in the classic Maya world. Time Lord is definitely like a science fiction thing you hear about in, in various areas. But what, is, what does Who, Time right? Lords mean? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, Dr. Well, I,
4: I do love Doctor Who. And <laughs> so I know about Time Lords. And the Maya don't have any phone booths like that, but they did think of their rulers and other high uh, leaders As people who embodied time, they Mm -hmm. not only were making policy, but their very presence was a way of manifesting destiny, if you will. And this is hardly surprising. Many people in the world think this way. But specifically, David Stewart of the University of Texas, Austin, came up with this notion of Maya as time Lords when they carved monuments of themselves, which gave calendrical dates of their celebration of an event, but also portrayed those individuals. That chapter that I co-wrote with Olivia Navarro Far is actually about carved stone monuments hmm. at a site in northwestern Paten, where we've been working since 2003 and about how people used these carved stone monuments as artifacts. They would celebrate them, but they would also desecrate them, and they would move their pieces around, and they would bury them inside of buildings. So the chapter's about carved stone monuments as
0: artifacts. Hmm. Wow. Okay. I mean, we're nearing the end of the segment, but I'm wondering, you know, somebody somebody picks up this book. Who is this Who is this book for? Is this for uh, Maya scholars? Can anybody pick this up and, and gain some insight into the Maya from reading this?
4: I think so. I, we tried hard in the editing and writing of the book to put it in accessible terms that were jargon-free, that mm-hmm. were not difficult for people to understand. So we think this book could be read by anyone, and they would get things out of it. We feel that the Maya have provided us with inspiration to talk to people about how they thought about the ancient world, the world they lived in, and why that's important to us now. So for me, I think it's really important that the Maya saw themselves as sustaining and nurturing the world that they lived in. They didn't Mm -hmm. see themselves as dominant forces in the world. They saw themselves as farmers cultivating their fields, as people weaving and crafting in their homes. They saw themselves as participants in a world that was a living place. And they, they saw their work as being to sustain and continue that world into the future.
0: Hmm. Awesome. I love it. All right. Well, that sounds like a good point to take a break and we'll come back on the other side and continue talking about this book. Again, if you want to take a look at the link for it is in the show notes. It will take you to the publisher's page. I'm sure you can find the book in all the usual places as well. So take a look at that. We'll be back in a minute.
1: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Everybody
0: in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or Mc Crispy Sandwich. But
1: you're the Filet-O-Fish Sandwich all day.
0: Welcome back to The Archaeology Show, episode 249. And you won't hear Rachel on this segment. We had some technical difficulties, so she got booted for (laughs) segment two, but she'll be back in segment three. So when we send out a booking link for people it asked basically some questions and it, it asked us you guys to send us questions and I really liked one of the ones that uh, that you guys sent over when this was booked and it was what relevance do ancient ideas about time have for people today so what can what can studying Maya time for, so to speak what can that how can that help us today how does that help you guys so you, you guys have been studying this for a long time so what is what does Maya time do for us?
3: Ancient ideas about time are relevant for people today for for several reasons, but one of the reasons is because people's ideas about time are both shaped by and then in turn shape the places where they live. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is just a fascinating concept. One, I've really been studying my whole, whole life and or at least my working life. And When I say they're shaped by the places where they live, you know, where I'm living today, it's snowy and cold. The days are short. But where many Maya people lived and still live, you know, the the seasonality is extremely different. There's a rainy season and a dry season. There's a time when you plant and a time when you gather. There are very different views of the sky in that part of the world and what fascinates me is that the the way that the maya and their predecessors and their neighbors throughout mesoamerica or central america built their landscapes changed and and responded to the way the world works and and the seasons and the where the sun rises and sets, where stars or planets rise and set along the horizon. So that's one kind of relevance. But okay. another has to do with the Maya themselves, who of course are a living culture that's huge, huge in, a, in several countries in, in Latin America. And these are people that are, going about their daily lives, speaking their languages and considering time in ways that are somewhat different from the way a modern American or a person from another culture might think about time. Mm -hmm. And I am intrigued by how recognizing the importance of a, culturally subjective set of ideas is in our modern world, in terms of understanding how other people think, what their values are, and and respecting them.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's interesting.
3: One of the things that the Mesoamericans,
4: those are people who live in Mexico, Guatemala, Belize, Salvador, Honduras, including the Maya in that world. One of the things they had was a fascination with calendar time. And so Mm -hmm. today people gather at Chichen Itza, where you and Rachel went on the spring equinox or the summer solstice to celebrate shadows that appear on the Great Pyramid there, because the Maya actually designed places to measure time the annual cycle of time. But one of the things that the mathematics of the Maya has that has fascinated other people in the world is a concept that we would identify as zero or no. This is an uncommon construction in ancient history. Uh, The Romans, for example, did not have concept of zero. And Mm -hmm. they were a great people and, and had a great empire. But the Maya did have a zero. And Anne wrote about this in Architects of Time, the final chapter in our edited book. It's something that
3: I think mathematicians and religious specialists and likely also astronomers developed at a point in time when there was beginning to be institutionalization that was permitting full-time specialists to, to work together mm-hmm. on topics of importance, such as the calendar um, in Maya societies. Mm-hmm. And what I find rather intriguing about the ideas surrounding zero or the null concept if you want to be very explicit in terms of how mathematicians consider the idea, is that they they saw it as both empty and full. Mm-hmm. They saw it as complete, including everything and nothing. There was some concepts that were diametrically opposed in our, or at least in my mind, that are wrapped together in this idea about how to look at the idea of zero. And the reason is because the zero position was the end or the completion of a unit of time for the Maya. Right. Or at least I think that's part of the reason. And it also was the completion, say, of a movement like a circuit, a procession. It was It was a, a complicated topic, uh, which I think I'm going to be thinking about and studying for a little while before I fully grasp it. But one yeah. person who I worked with early in my career by the name of Floyd Lounsbury a tremendously talented linguist who taught at Yale University for many years, had to say about Maya math was that they used math in a very poetic sense. They saw harmonious mathematical units that had symmetry and extent aesthetically pleasing characteristics Mm. that when I was in elementary school, I I have to confess, I didn't see. (laughs) So, you know, his appreciation for some of the very sophisticated accomplishments of Maya mathematicians and astronomers helps us understand how this culture developed complex ideas about mathematics when they were developing calendars and and using those calendars for a variety of reasons in everyday life.
0: Hmm. You know, you mentioned everyday life. That made me uh, think of a question I was thinking of earlier is, was time as important, or can we even tell this in the archaeological record, but was time as important for the everyday person in my society, or was it more the, the domain of you know, priests and the ruling class and, and people like that?
4: Well, let me say that the Maya lived in communities and still do in many cases that mm-hmm. are quite spread out. They were gathered by the Europeans, by the Spanish in the conquest for purposes of administration and conversion. But they, they generally like to live spread out on the landscape, So their cities are green cities, in our view, full of orchards and trees and gardens. And people had to walk a lot, and they did, and they still do. So scheduling events, coordinating, transmitting ideas through information, through conversation, through orders, all of these require people to move around a lot. And mm-hmm. because they moved around a lot, they had schedules in their minds. That is, they knew what day it was and they knew where they were supposed to be on that day. <laughs> and so that's where calendars work for everyone. And even today in the, in the many Maya communities, and there are at least 6 million people who speak a Mayan language as a primary language, even today, People are very careful in their scheduling of their time. They know mm-hmm. how to do it because they all have access to sages that are daykeepers or timekeepers, and they pay attention to what the schedules are doing. So in the ordinary Maya life today, and I believe from the beginning Time played a really essential role in that particular, in scheduling. They knew where they were going to be, and they knew why they were going to be there. And they had to move around a lot in order to accomplish the things that they did collectively and the things that they wanted to accomplish individually.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we are nearing the end of this discussion and and I want to ask you guys, I mean, it's kind of like asking what your favorite child is, but maybe pick a chapter each each of you to just kind of highlight some of the things, or maybe just some of the other concepts in the book that maybe several chapters cover that you think our our listeners might be interested into.
3: One of the chapters that I was reading just before the podcast started, trust me, I've read them all before several times, but (laughs) I want, you know, sometimes it's kind of fun to see, I don't know, appreciate the, the final product, the very final product. Sure. And, you know, I think that one of the things that, one of the chapters that I find quite inspiring is Patricia McEnany's chapter, which is number 13, titled mm-hmm. Lived Experience and Monumental Time in Classic Maya Lowlands. Because she's talking about modern Maya as well as ancient Maya ideas about time. And so I think that one of the things that she talks about and and thinks very carefully about has to do with what changes occurred among the Maya in order to effectively use their landscape for agriculture And of course, you know, scheduling not only your day, but when to plant and when to harvest was a background assumption that we began this working group studying. And we thought that the reason surrounding the changes to the landscape, the built environment, the design of cities was very closely tied to agricultural seasonality and marking those seasons using horizon-based astronomical principles, particularly studying the rise and set of the sun through the seasons, mm. of the annual year. And Patricia is is eloquent. She is an extraordinary writer. She has quite an ability to turn a phrase. And I, I was enjoying the final product that that is Chapter 13. But also, we found out in the course of doing this work that we weren't completely correct about the idea of seasonality and its connection with agriculture and its connection with the rise of cities in this part of the world. And I have to say, we were all rather surprised and thrilled when Takeshi Inomata announced that during COVID, when he was sitting quietly at home, poring over LIDAR images of a portion of the area that he was studying and found on the order of 500, almost 500, new, extremely large, roughly 140-acre platforms that are hard to see whether the area is in pasture or jungle on the ground, but he was able to see these using the detailed topographic imagery permitted by LIDAR. So what this showed us was that it isn't just agricultural groups that were changing the land dramatically in order to to design calendars, but also hunter-gatherer groups or mixed economic groups, possibly mm-hmm. horticulture, agriculture, and hunter-gatherers, who were who were modifying the landscape in in truly dramatic and astounding ways. And these types of constructions and changes in political organization eventually led to cities being built. But that's something that we none of us anticipated. Hmm. And Takeshi's chapter that he wrote with his wife, Daniela, is number three. And it's yeah. titled, Spatial and Temporal Standardization in Southern Mesoamerica During the Preclassic Period, New Insights from the Middle Usama Region, Mexico. Yeah. These ideas build on our first volume, in truly exciting ways. And I have to say, it's been an honor to work with David Friedel, Arlen Chase, Jerry Murdoch, and the many others who form our Santa Fe Institute group. Awesome.
0: Well, that is fantastic. And I hope our listeners get to check out a copy of this book because there's a lot of really neat things in here. And, you know, for some that may not be aware of this type of a book, I mean, you really should read it cover to cover if you're interested, but these, this is an edited volume. You can pick up a chapter that seems interesting to you and you can read that. I mean, it's part of the Maya story, but it's not part of the story of the book, so to speak. <laughs> this isn't something that goes from page one, you know, to, to the last page. So, but that's really neat about this is you can pick up a chapter that seems interesting to you and you could read it and absorb it and enjoy it. So, With that, I think we will let you guys go. Again, the link is in the show notes for this book. And I want to thank Anne and David again and all the others that couldn't be on for putting this together and Anne and David for coming on the show. Thank you very much.
4: Thank you, Chris. And please thank Rachel. Thanks, everybody.
1: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help.
0: Welcome back to episode 249 of the Archaeology Show. So that was a good interview, for what you heard of it.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't
2: know what happened there. I had technical difficulties, I guess. And Yeah. Like a little bit of the inside guts of what we do here. We're sitting right across from each other right now, talking into our microphones. Yeah. Yeah. And when we do an interview, though, we use an online-based recording software, so we can't be in the same room or else we get, like, bad feedback. Yeah. So I'm trying to sit back in the bedroom of our RV, and you're up here in the front, and it works pretty well, except for some reason the, the internet thing didn't want to do it for me. Yeah, it was just the <laughs> hosting
0: service. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. And we didn't want to bother our guest was trying to figure that out so
2: yeah for Rachel sure. just
0: bailed on segment two but we had her edit segment one and two so she knew what was going yes, on
2: yes I did yeah. I have listened to him I mean I was there for segment one although I was quiet because I've it just the it just wasn't working super well for me yeah. this time yeah, it happens technical yeah. stuff so, yeah. well
0: anyway um, check out the show notes because you can go grab a link if you want to buy this book now keep in mind if you're not used to seeing academic book prices which yes. is exactly what this is yes this isn't like a Barnes and Noble book, right? right? It's it's academic book prices, so it's it's a little bit pricey. Um,
2: it is. I think I saw it was yeah. one hundred and twenty five dollars. Right. So that is kind of more of a textbook pricing. However, the topics are from what we talked to Anna David about, and you can see, you know, a couple pages of it in a preview. I think mm-hmm. they look very interesting. So, yeah. you know, it definitely would be worth it if you're interested in this kind of information and in this kind of topic.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm always interested in talking about time and space and yeah stuff like that so i was really interested in this one to begin with and the maya are always so mysterious especially since that even david mentioned this in the beginning of the show with the calendar you know the mm. maya calendar and how the world almost ended in 2012 <laughs> because but not really right Because but yeah. their calendar stopped like our calendar stops every year i'm like come on <laughs> yeah you know? no but it was the long count so yeah their big calendar was like that's it and yeah it's like are we gonna do another one mm-hmm. it's like why, why does this have to end because you know it was written in. Out. right but
2: it was very interesting to me to talk about time because it is this concept that I think is kind of difficult to find in the archaeological record which is what these guys are doing is they're looking for mm-hmm. how time is represented in the remains that we can see right yeah. and I, I really enjoyed the conversation about zero in particular mm-hmm. which they know that the Mayans had a zero from the hieroglyphs yeah. that are that they've translated and I I think my favorite part of the conversation was how they don't look at zero the way we look at zero, which is like nothingness, right? The lack of anything for Mm -hmm. them. It's like a beginning and an end. Like, like everything is circular, right? Right. That's what, that was one of the big takeaways for me from the conversation. I wish I had been there for that part because that was, (laughs) that was after I dropped out. But isn't that so cool to think about? And it, it is a beginning and an end in a lot of circumstances because there was something there, and then there's not, and right. that's a zero. And sometimes you go on, and there's something there again. So it is this circular thing. Which, anyway, that that to me was like one of the coolest concepts that you guys discussed.
0: It's also difficult to really get into some higher mathematics without zero
2: yeah right
0: like yeah. And you see that in societies around the world and actually when I was having a little bit of crisis of education between my aviation <laughs> and archaeology careers I took a bunch of math classes <laughs> and one of those was the history of math yeah and we did algebra and other, other you know trigonometry even in Mayan base 20. We did it in Egyptian. I can't remember what Egyptian, I think, was still base 10, but I can't remember. Mm -hmm. And that just means, you know, like when we count Roman numerals, we go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, and then we kind of start over and do another set of 10. Yeah. Right. We just call it something different. Well, the Mayans go up to 20 and and then then start start over and do another set of 20 and they call it something different. So. And it kind of makes sense, you know? People think, well, we've got 10 fingers on our hands, so we count with we're base 10, yeah. right? And the Maya's like, yeah, but we have toes, too. So, <laughs> <laughs> let's just count with is those. Is that
2: really why they, they went you know, to 20?
0: Nobody knows. Yeah, I nobody, guess you do not really know that. Know, but it, it, it is that parallel between yeah. those kinds of things, right? Yeah. There's got to be something there. But anyway, the fact that they had a zero means that... They probably had the ability to do some pretty some pretty serious math if they if they mm-hmm. developed that. And I don't think we'd really know how much math that they really developed aside from the evidence which is in their architecture. Yes. Right? I mean yeah. their architecture, the the symmetry, any any society that has built something mm-hmm. that has that sort of you know, elegance to it, yeah. even their cities and their layouts and their plans, they had to have some kind of knowledge of geometry to. and yeah. math. Yeah, because yeah. You know?
2: otherwise these structures would come tumbling down. I mean, it, it's a or very precise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we've yeah. been to Chichen Itza and they, mm-hmm. there's some pretty amazing structures there yeah. and and structures that line up in certain times of the year. So it's not just math that they're right. doing. They're lining it up with the seasons and the sun and the moon and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, too, which is really just it's so advanced and I, I love that. And again, like you said, it's hard to find that in the archaeological record, yeah. but you see these structures and you know they were doing it. So that is that is really cool. And the fact that Romans didn't have a zero, too. Like, I think David said that in the interview. I was like, they didn't? Not right away. Come on, guys. Yeah, not the early Romans. <laughs> That's crazy, right? But yeah. yeah.
0: One thing I also was a little bit skeptical about was they were talking about time and mentioned something about how, you know, your, your average person, like they, the way that they speak, they don't have words for certain things. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when they say something, I can't remember what the exact example was, but I was like, you know, sure. Okay. We can interpret this based on that. And there are current people who in, you know, minds today Mm -hmm. that live down in that area. And I just, I'm just skeptical about the fact that they might've thought of time in a very different way than than you normally do on your day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you wake up in the morning, you know the sun is going to come up, and you know the sun is going to go down. Mm -hmm. You know it does that all the time, Mm -hmm. and you know that that's just going to keep on going. You know there's seasons, if Mm -hmm. you're paying attention. Maybe not if you live in, you know, the Yucatan. (laughs) (laughs) Not too many seasons down there, probably. Mm -hmm. But you do have that sense of that thing. So just because they might not have words or you know even examples and hieroglyphics and drawings of it doesn't mean that, you know... That's what it was. We see all the really the fantastical elite stuff and the and the priestly stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like all the the with the long count calendar and the and the different things that we see on the buildings and things. I just don't know how much we get of normal everyday life and how they saw things.
2: Yeah, I mean, I it is hard for me to imagine it being much different than understanding how time is going to affect the hunting you're doing, the agricultural things that you're growing, yeah, the all those things that you need to do to survive time and the seasons and the place that you're in is really going to affect that. And it's hard for me to see how they wouldn't have based their lives around that. right? Right. Like they might not have known that today is January 20th, 2024, but they would have known that right now it's cold. And in a certain amount of time it'll be warm and that's mm-hmm. when they're going to start planting things and that's when they're going to start the, the animals are going to start having babies and, yeah. and you know like there's going to they're marking time differently by what's happening on the landscape so it's not necessarily in numbers and and mm-hmm. days and things like that but it is still a way of marking time yeah so and that's how they would be able to arrive at a festival on time right because that festival always happens in this one season so all of that makes sense to me and I think it is special to the Maya because they did have the higher, the higher spiritual advisors who would have marked time with specific mm-hmm. numbers and days and however they did it. But, you know, in the end, it seems like an everyday person is marking time the same way that almost yeah. anybody marks time, right? Yeah. By the things that they're doing and when they need to do them by. Right. So, yeah, but it is still really cool that they also had this upper level of recording where they could yeah. keep track of it by by the Mayan calendar, so yeah, yeah. it's pretty neat. It's very cool. All
0: right, well, again, check the, check out the show notes. You can find a link to that book if you really want to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll have it as an ebook, as a little cheaper, but <laughs> not usually. So anyway, yeah, it's. Uh, you might be able to find it, if you're in school, you might be able to find it or request it at a university library. Yeah. You know, they might pick that book up.
2: And also, there's always the used book market, too. So the, Yeah. Well, it's brand new. <laughs> it is new right now, but eventually it will enter the used market. Yeah. So,
0: exactly. Yeah. Probably right at the end of the semester. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's just how
2: things work. I remember college. <laughs> yeah. I do remember. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. All if right, you're well, really lucky, you got a book that had some really great notes written in it. <laughs> right, already highlighted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Harry Potter.
0: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, next week, we're going to bring you a couple of news articles. But then for some weird reason, we've had a request to find out a little bit more about us than we already overshare at the beginning of our <laughs> shows. So so we might do a short little segment on that. Um, yeah. We'll in the see last how segment,
2: that so. in. Yeah. yeah. And then we have another interview coming up. It's yeah. actually more Maya stuff randomly. But we're yeah. excited about that one. It looks really interesting. And then we have some other interesting things that we're kind of trying to put together in the background yeah. that might be maybe the beginnings of a new series. We'll see how it how it plays out.
0: <laughs> also, if things go to plan, we may be visiting a petroglyph site in Mexico oh, in the next yeah. few weeks. Oh, yeah. Yes. So, hopefully we can bring some of that in.
2: Yeah, we'll bring some of our travels in for sure, because we've done a little bit of touring here in Arizona, but not enough for a full episode. But when we come back from Mexico, we'll do more Arizona touring, and yeah. then we'll maybe we'll put together a, an Arizona and, yeah. Archaeology episode. So, yeah, tons of fun stuff on the horizon, all which right. do not hold us to. We will or will not do it. You never know.
0: We probably won't. But <laughs> we won't have an episode till April. See ya.
2: <laughs> no, we'll do all this stuff because it's fun. We love to go visit sites and then talk about them. So. Yeah.
0: All right. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArchPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland,